Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes, Dan. How are you, mate? Hey, how's it going? All right? Yeah. All things considered, things are okay. They could be better, definitely, um, but they could also be worse. How about you? Much the same. Much the same, yeah. It's, uh, it's all good, really. Just uh, glad to be alive still. That's it. A bit of humility <laughs> and gratitude in times like these gets you through it, doesn't it? Definitely. Definitely, yeah. I was trying to remember the last time I saw you, and it's been four years. The last time would have been, if I'm correct, at your Darkness Festival, Dark Nestival, at the the O2 in December 2016. We did a bunch of live Q&As on the stage as part of that, and uh, you kindly let me do a little DJ set opening up for you guys as well. Since then, Dan, you've released two albums, both of which have been amazing. Um, really, just incredible stuff. You're you're living up to your promise of continuing to shit out solid gold. <laughs> <laughs> it's like diarrhea now. <laughs> gold diarrhea, though. We're, we're 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 very loose. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing a lot of producing at your like home studio, right? The Hawk's Nest is this where a lot of the magic has been created over the last two records. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, 
to call it a home studio is probably doing it a bit of a disservice. Uh, it's yeah. a full-on studio, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, the only thing that sets it apart from commercial studios, really, I think, is the fact that I don't rent it out to anyone. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, but it's, yeah, but basically it's, it's far enough away from the house that I can, um, uh, pretend I'm at work when I'm not. <laughs> so have you been doing a lot of work in there over lockdown? What have you been doing this year? Cause this year obviously was meant to be, I guess, like mm. the, the Easter's cancelled world tour, right? You put out that record at the well, end of last year. Did you have touring yeah. pretty much booked up throughout 2020? Well, we were quite, we were quite lucky really. Um, so we, well, we, um, only had the American tour left to do, uh, which right. Is, uh, so we normally left about six to eight weeks uh, on an album tour, uh, and obviously we had the festivals um, in the summer, and then that would have been it for us anyway. So you know, we would have disappeared into the studio for you know for pretty much a year. Um, so yes, yeah, so we managed to do like the UK and Europe and Australia, and then we got cut short before we could do um, America, and obviously. It would have been nice to play the new album songs at the festivals this year, but um wasn't meant to be. But um yeah, it could be a lot worse. I mean we just basically we just we just went into the studio um earlier than, than we'd um, planned to. Right. And you know, as far as the, the band's career goes, um I've been saying for a while that that we kinda needed to leave leave the field fallow for a year. I've been saying that for a long time, you know, like um you know, it's not Everyone thinks now that, that that you have to just keep bombarding people and reminding them that they need to be invested in 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 you and your and your um your business, whatever it may be. But I, I actually am a bit more old school now. I think sometimes it's good to have to be away for people to be excited about you coming back. So um, so it's kind of played right into my hands, really. But unfortunately, <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, <laughs> but but not. But it, but sadly, it hasn't played very well into the hands of. Um, of our um, our road crew, who um, it's just really tough. I was just I was just talking to my wife about it. It's, um, just so many so many people I know, kind of literally out there painting fences and and um, were signing on, and just it's just and it's just weird. Just the rug's been pulled firmly from under their feet, and um, it's not so bad for us because we we just switched to going to the studio. We've got, we we disappear for months at a time anyway, yeah. And our crew will go and work for other people. You know that's because. They're, they're they're highly skilled technicians and and they can get work the drop of a hat you know but um but 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 the whole profession just just uh, disappeared overnight so so it's really tough for them but not so tough for us. I was thinking the other day because when you guys landed on the scene, it seemed, I guess, from the outside looking in, like you just, you know, arrived fully formed as this larger than life juggernaut, like rock gods sent down to earth from heaven. Um, but obviously, the reality was for for quite a while, you were just kind of like honing that that stage show. What I would love to know from you, Dan, to kind of get things going and and delve a little bit into the history of the darkness is when you're playing like the Camden Barfly and these kind of, you know small venues back in the day when you're starting out are you playing like the darkness that we now know even then like was that larger than life delivery of the material and the presentation of it was that always the way that you guys came out the gate well when i mean there were different incarnations of the band before we were named the darkness um so we were empire for a while um but it wasn't this wasn't that lineup that original lineup um but when we when we named ourselves the darkness and and we settled on on that that final lineup of um, 
uh, of you, Justin, uh, Frankie, Frank. and Ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we kind of um, at that point when we went out to play live, it was pretty obvious it, that that was the that was the agenda, really. You know, like um, uh, just to kind of be as overblown and in your face and not really care, you know, what people thought. I mean, yeah, I'd say yes. I mean, I don't think we said, I think we took quite a few months to get it together sonically. Yeah. Um, you know, by that, I mean, you know, we'd, we'd kind of, we'd all, we've all carried loads of kind of different alternative influences into the band. Um, but everyone kind of had to comply with Justin and, and my, uh, format for the band, which was basically just none more rock, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it, everything, everything had to rock. It was it, nothing could ever be boring. There couldn't be a dull moment, you know. It's like that kind of thing. And and um, so yeah, so we kind of took us a few gigs to get that together. And that also came about and and was was developed by having that um legendary Saturday night slot at the Monarch, which which then turned out to be the Barfly, but back then it was the it was the Monarch. So um I would yeah, have so loved to have seen you guys around that time. <laughs> I mean what a you great know, time. Do you know what I've actually got um a really good recording of our very first gig wow. at, at the um at what turned out to be the Barfly. Um and um, I would love to share it with people because I just think it's unbelievable. But, um, but my brother won't allow it because um, <laughs> because it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild because he's a, he. I mean, it, it, is it singing. video, Dan, or is it just audio? No, sadly, it's from back in the day when um, if you wanted to take a picture, um, you'd go and buy a camera from Boots. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it would be plugged into the wall, and you'd only have about a meter's yeah. cable. <laughs> Exactly, or it be or it be disposable, and you, you take it down the pub with you, and then by the end of the night, you take a load of pictures, and then you leave it leave it on the train on the way home. Always, yeah. So it's just it's just but, um, audio, but you think it stands up, but Justin is. Yeah, I think it's wild because you can hear him just like if his his falsetto is completely out of control. He's got no control over it at all, but he's still going for it. And it's like you can hear like in the second song where he just he basically takes his top off, you know, and it's like, there's only about seven. I remember you can, you can hear how few people are watching us at that point. It's <laughs> like seven people there and you can, you can hear them laughing, you know, it's like, um, and that was like second song in, he'd done that. And it's, um, uh, but yeah, so, so I would say it was, it was pretty fun. But, but, but those Saturday night slots, I mean, the, the, um, uh, John Mack, who was, um, the, the promoter for, um, the Barfly at the time. He now does uh, Reading, was, right? He does, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Johnny, I know the, him. I know him well. He's a good dude. Do you? He's a great guy and a great footballer, actually. Yeah. He and I used to play um, football. Um, well, we, the band. It's another thing people probably don't realise that um, uh, the band are really into football, and we used to play football every Saturday at Regent's Park. Um, and John and I would um, would be like the centre backs because um, uh, he's pretty pretty tall and so am I. So um, we used to lock that stuff down on a Saturday morning and then by the by the night time would be um, rocking out at the barfly. But yeah, he was the only one that would um, to book us, basically. I mean, we sent, you know, our demo tapes out to pretty much every London venue and he was the only one that that, um, that would book us and, and the only slot he even he could give us because he, he just didn't know what to do with us was, um, was the Saturday night slot. And it sounds like that would be a really good slot to have but that's actually the worst slot for um, for an up and coming band because because people just want to get pissed, right? 
Well, yeah, but the A&R guys in the industry and the scouts, they don't work on weekends. They're not going to go to the Barcelona on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, because they've been like, there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like the, that's just not the not what you do. So so we would we would be there and everyone was, um, and it was great. So we owned that slot and, and it kind of went from like 20 people to 30 to 50 to 100 to you know, to pretty much 150 every uh, every um, Saturday by the end of it, or every time we played there. So, um, and and that kind of informed, you know, when we get together for rehearsals during the week, um, we we would see which songs were landing, and we could see we could literally feel when the audience were bored, and those songs were gone by the next week, you know, or, or were adjusted so that there was no. No, um, there were no boring bits, and 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 that's I think pretty much what why the uh, the first album sounds the way it does. Like it just is like um, yeah, because we managed to sort of I, I say I hate the word hone. Hone sounds like you like you've actually there's actually some art involved, but it's it's more. It, it was of, um, all killer, no filler. Basically, you, yeah, you it's chopped like, off all excess fat. Basically, yeah, it was basically we were butchers, not artists. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it reminds me, Dan, of, um, I can't remember whether I heard it or saw it, but it was an interview with Mick and Keith and talking about the early days of the Stones. And they were saying it really was as simple as the first show. There was like two people there. And we just said, well, let's just put on the best show of our lives. So then those two people tell a friend and next week they'll be four. And they said it literally worked like that. If you just keep doubling the audience then organically that is going to grow exponentially quite, you know, quite fast. And didn't you guys sell out the Astoria before you even got a record deal? We did. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, we oversold it. In fact, it was, it was, it was ran. They had more people in there than, than was legally allowed. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, but it was cool. Cause, um, I mean, we we were in there. We did, we didn't have any money for, a, you know, really for a light show. We just used the in-house lights. You know, there's a smoke machine and the, the staging, they had a load of, um, when, when we got there to load in, they had a load of kind of like, um, uh, like sort of not really staging, more like tables, I suppose. Right. And we kind of put, we put them together and made a drum riser out of that. And then, and then I found a load more. So we basically, so I put them all together and they were all like, kind of like just wobbling about, but it was almost like this kind of like platform behind the, you know, the Marshall stacks. For Justin to sort of like run around and so it actually looked like we had a bit a bit of production, but we didn't. We just and then and uh, just yeah, creative we, we, use of the space. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's just um, so it was very very um, spit and sawdust. But yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that night. I, I couldn't believe that you know that there were so many um, uh, like headbangers. Like it was just so many um, young blokes with long hair headbanging. I was like, wow, gosh, this is like. It's weird how like the dynamic of our audience changed from that, you know, to, to almost like a pop audience, and then and then it's sort of gone back again, and it's sort of it's, it's weird. It's very strange. It's fascinating to me because I think you guys really were the last band to achieve great success in different pockets of the music industry and what i might what i mean by that is you you know for permission to land you got like brit awards but also kerrang awards and you know smash hits would write about you but then so would kerrang and metal hammer and i can't really i can't really think of a band since the darkness that has managed to do that like straddle the the mainstream pop audience with that more hard rock heavier end yeah yeah it's um yeah it's i guess it's uh it's a it's a phenomenon, <laughs> phenomenon. No, I mean there are there are bands out there that kind of that, that do it, but 
like I guess that the industry was, was different then as well, wasn't it? More people were actually yeah. buying music, and you had the chance to sell a lot more albums. And yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think um, I don't know the platforms out there like these days. It's, everything's very compartmentalized, isn't it? Really, and um, yeah. Uh, whereas around that time, it wasn't so much. You know, it's like you, you know you, your your press guys could get you out and, and get you into all sorts of different magazines. Most of those magazines aren't even there anymore. It's like yeah. um, these days, it's kind of like I don't know. It just feels like a bit more. I don't know. You can't you can't make it's fractured. Really isn't broad, it? Yeah, yeah. You can't make broad strokes anymore. Yeah, as far as when you're promoting something. Um, Did you guys go on top so, of the pops? I, I imagine you went on there a couple oh, of times. Loads of times, yeah, yeah, yeah. loads of times. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I remember doing it on my on my birthday once actually. And, uh, yeah, that was good. It was just what a feeling. I mean, that's just so surreal. Yeah, so so surreal. What at what age did the Wild Hearts come in? Because weren't they one of the first bands? You talked about John Mack being the first person to really book you. Um, weren't the Wild Hearts the first band? you know, further down the, the line to kind of give you guys a leg up. Didn't they take you out yeah. and open yeah, up for them on that, tour? What year was that? Was that yeah. before Permission to Land came out? It, it was, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that year, the year before the album came out, I mean, we, we just, when we toured with loads of people, um, uh, but the Wild Hearts were the first, yeah. I mean, I think the first, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be wrong here, but it feels like the Roadmenders might, might have been the first show or... Actually, no, it wasn't. It was um, it was up north. I remember he was um, uh, was he from where is he from? Is he from, he's from Newcastle? He's... Yeah, but, but specifically, what's the town he's from? It's, um, oh, uh, it's next to Newcastle, something South yeah. Shields, right? Is it? Uh, okay. Anyway, we're up north somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> up in, up in the rainy bit, and um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, and he was uh, like I think the first time I met him, he was just sat outside the venue, um. And just signing stuff for fans and talking to them, like for, for like a good, you know, two or three hours. And I was like, that is so cool. Like, just that he's he's always made himself really accessible to to his audience, and yeah. um, and and he did to us as well. He was really super super friendly and um, and supportive, and and always has been. So you know. Hats off to him. What was their audience like? How did they take to the darkness? Because they're a very, oh, they're a very vocal yeah. and passionate fan base. And if you win over a Wild Hearts crowd, you've then got fans for life. But I imagine yeah. coming out the way you guys would have been coming out, was it a little bit of a hard sell at first? But then did you have them by the end kind of thing? How did it work at most shows? I did don't you know. Find? To, to, be, to be honest, I can't remember. I was probably just try, trying to avoid you know, spent, spent the gig probably avoiding bottles of piss and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and eye contact, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, just let's get, let's get this over with. Trying to play the songs as fast as possible so that we could get out of there alive, you know. Um, <laughs> no, no, they're, they're, fan, they're fan base are great. I mean, I actually think they've, they've tolerated us um, over the years um, because we've, cause we've just, <laughs> we've insisted on having the Wild Hearts as our support group on on so many tours um amazing to pay uh, it back they, and... they, they must be sick of us by now um, <laughs> and Def Leppard as well were they were they early champions of the band they were they were because um, Joe's another again, one like could... Ginger isn't he he takes a real active interest yeah. in in upcoming he bands does. I saw a video recently where he was kind of going out of his way to name check the struts and he was like you've got to check this band out you've got to watch them and he seems like like Ginger he's always trying to keep his eyes open for what's next and and usher those bands in yeah yeah I mean he's um, 
he really championed us. So he was so nice. He, I, I picked something up from him um, when when we first played with him at some arena somewhere. Um, the first first day we got there, he kind of came into the dressing room, introduced himself, said hi, gave us a bottle of champagne to welcome us to the tour. Um, so and I was just like, this is just this this guy is the best best man in the world. Yeah. And, um, and uh, and we've tried to follow that on, like so. Whenever we have a sport band that, that um, well that we don't know, we, uh, we work welcome on tour with a, with a bottle of champagne and and a greeting. But um, well, things actually, like that, Dan. Honest, it's such it's such a small gesture, but it means so much, doesn't it? Yeah. Post COVID, though, it'll probably be prosecco, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Baby shit. Maybe even brew. Yeah. Blue nun. Here's your blue nun. Now get on stage. <laughs> Don't be late. <laughs> how is Don't the overrun? How is the Metallica tour? How did they treat you? And how did their fans? How did their fans take take the, the darkness aesthetic? Yeah, cool. Yeah, do you know what? Actually, one of the best um, reactions we ever got, I think, from a, from an audience that wasn't ours, was from um, was from uh, the Metallica crowd in the RDF Arena uh, when we played with them, and I think Linkin Park. Oh wow! Um, what a wild bill. Yeah, they Lincoln Park. Lincoln, I know Lincoln Park. Apparently, Lincoln Park almost got booed off. I mean, I, I don't want to diss anyone that you know or or cast aspersions, but I remember on the day thinking we because we thoroughly thought, well, this is going to go. This is how it's going to go. We're going to get booed off. Lincoln Park's going to just own it, and then Metallica will, you know, teach us all a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it well, Metallica still taught everyone a lesson. Let's just put it that way, but um. But I, I, I think it, the, I, I came off thinking that was unbelievable. You know, it was just people going mental, like massive mosh pits, and and um, it was awesome. And um, I then was told that it was um, Phil Linnett's uh, birthday that day. <laughs> wow! And um, yeah, and I was obviously championing Finn Lizzie, so I think that's why they gave us an easy ride. There you go. And I mean, that was your thing for years. Maybe it still is the Thin Lizzy t-shirt. That was just kind of your uniform, wasn't it, for yeah, m- most of the it, noughties? Yeah, yeah, it still is. I still find them in the weirdest places, you know. <laughs> just, just everywhere. What, what's your favourite Lizzy album, Dan? Uh, oh, that, that's a tough one, really. Um, changes all the time. Yeah, depending uh, on mood. Bit, yeah, I mean, oh, God, I, I hate to say it, but I'm a bit... I am a bit um, the best of Thin Lizzy. <laughs> I am a bit like well, more like more like um, I will choose Thin Lizzy, uh, um, and then I will just leave it to, to shuffle about. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because they're so, just because there's so there's so much stuff. It's so broad. It's just like such a like a huge body of work, and it's and it's so different. It covers so many different styles. So um, it's that it really is like I mean not in the best possible way it's the best background music for getting on with stuff during the day you know like, like if I was just if I was um, like painting the house which I seem to have done three times over this lockdown <laughs> um, like I would just put it on I would just choose for maybe put it on shuffle and, and I'd be fine I'd maybe have to put some pogues on at some point are you a big pogues fan are you I love the pogues I am a massive pogues I'm a massive pogues fan yeah um I noticed yeah, I you've been it bringing it. You've been bringing in more kind of strings and things like this over the years. Like I guess Last of Our Kind was when it started to kind of oh, come yeah. to the forefront. But what I love about you guys is you've always had not just between records but within records great variety 
as well. Was that always something that you wanted to set out to do is not just have that kind of, although ACDC are, you know, one of the best rock and roll bands oh, ever. And I love yeah. them. They have their one lane and they stay in it and they just, they do that like nobody else. But you guys have never really had just one lane, have you? Even Permission to no. Land has, you know, many. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, uh, uh, sometimes it's a, it's a curse. Like because, because yeah, people don't know what go, like a darkness single is or should be kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Nor do we anymore. It's just like we don't like 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 the like, for instance like the last album, um, like there was there was a very specific agenda. I was like, look, we just need to get some really immediate, straight up, three minute rock songs down, no mucking about. Yeah, <laughs> and then it turns out to be like this. Just ridiculous concept <laughs> album with the, the open. The first, the first single is like five minutes long. It's like, oh my god, I completely cocked this up. It's like uh, halfway through the album, I was like, guys, look, we've gone off like, brief here. <laughs> yeah, look, look, I fucked this. All right, okay. I, <laughs> what, a, what a glorious mess, though. And I don't mean the album yeah. is a mess. What a mess of your initial intention. I know. So this time. I'm going in trying to make a concert album and hopefully we'll come out with some singles. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Did you know, like, when you're about to release your debut album, obviously there's got to be a lot of, you know, expectation and excitement and uncertainty, but it's just such a flawless, solid gold, like banger for banger for banger of an album. When you have an album like that under your hat about to unleash into the world, are you pretty quietly confident that it's going to, you know do even half as well well as it did? No, I mean, not really. I mean, see, here's the thing. We we spent a long time making that record. Like, it may not sound like it, but um, see, what it was like, um, uh, when I was, I I used to work for this uh, publisher and I was like the runner and like, used to make take copies for people and stuff like that. I was there for quite a few years. And they had a little demo studio downstairs, which is where I met Pedro Torreira, who was the producer of that album. Yeah. And, um, so we basically, before the, the band even formed, um, Pedro and I were, were really good mates and, and we were working on stuff and we and we formed a production partnership, which is what actually what Pedro Productions is, which is the company that um, is, is um, credited on the, um, right. the album. Sort of thing. So, um, uh, so what it was, so we went into production. The first band that we decided to do was The Darkness, right? So um, and we had this little uh, studio set up in um, in uh, as part of two kilohertz studio in in North London. We had a little room, a little production room there, and every now and then we'd be able to grab the live room and get some drums, and then we'd bring those drums back to our tiny little studio, and then we'd overdub everything until we had uh, the songs finished. So so I was um, the co-producer on on the on the tracks that we did there, right? So that was I believe in the thing called Love. Love is only a feeling. And out of my hands, I think we did, which was a B side from somewhere. Um, so, so when you listen to those tracks, like the production is 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 completely different to the rest of the songs on the album. I never um, noticed that. I've never noticed. Yeah. That. Well, next next time you listen to it, you'll you'll hear it's a game of two halves. Basically, you've got right. Love is only feeling, and I believe in the thing called Love. Um, uh, which are the the big productions, the you know the, the kitchen sink productions, I'd say. Even though there, there's no bottom end in, in the record, um, there's a, it's pretty full on. 
so so we had that that um, production room, and we were working as that as that production partnership for that um, about six or seven months. Um, so in that six or, seven, six or seven months, we produced those three songs, right? So <laughs> um, and during and during that process, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. And during that process, I mean, that's like you know, like I love the feeling. Uh, you know, there's like a hundred and fifty acoustic guitars, all in different tunings and stuff. I mean. I mean, that's kind of the things that I was doing back then. Um, so Frankie, at the time, rightfully, was like, uh, and I turned it into, into a complete control freak, the whole thing. Um, so Frankie, at the time, was like, this is, this is not happening. I, you know, no one can get a, a, a word in edgeways or, or make an impression, and it's taking way too long. At which point I got in the mood and said, all right, I'll quit then. You know, we'll... Um, we'll <laughs> Well, I won't. I won't be producer for the rest of the co-produce the rest of the album. Um, so, and so, it just so happened at that at that point anyway. Um, we were starting to get some interest from those from that EP. So, like we had like loves loves only feeling. I've been people loving out my hands on a, on a CD, right. the ones that I'd co-produced. And then um, and then we went and then so we got to the point where there was enough interest to warrant. Um, funding recording the rest of the album. So basically, got, we had those three songs in the can, and then we went to the chapel and we knocked out all the other songs in the space of about six days. Um, so, so, so from six months to six days. <laughs> yeah. So I believe in fickle love and love is only a feeling. Six months. Um, uh, the rest of the album, six days. Yeah. So you can hear, you can hear that. So and I think you can hear the you can hear the influence of me as producer on the on the. Um, on those, on the I believe in single love and loves any feeling, and then you can hear what happened to the rest. So there you go. And it's I, cool. It's a good mix. It is, and it's it still stands up. I listened to it like two days ago, and I was just like, man, song for song, and even the ones that you perhaps don't remember as well, like a song like Given Up. I mean, it's hard to imagine a band today having the balls to sing about <laughs> heroin in in a, in a song in that way. And I know Justin has kind of always been very tongue-in-cheek and autobiographical with his lyrics, but, mm. I mean, talk to me about that song, because it just seems like such a wild-card song in today's world, which I guess is a you know a sign of how much the world has changed, but it's kind of in that vein of obviously like a Mr. Brownstone song. But I just well, can't that, imagine that kind mean. of tune being written I mean, anymore. To be, to be honest, like, and this is something that uh, I think people who see the band live or actually who really get us... Um, uh, understand. So you've got we make you know we've got songs like I believe, I believe in a thing called love and the video associated with that, which is utterly ludicrous, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know kids love that kind of, kind of thing, and it's just like it's way over the top. But then on the other side, um, lyrically, you've got things like that song, which is closer to um, the Sex Pistols. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, he's talking about shooting uh, Skag into his arm. Yeah, yeah, you know, inject it, it'll inject it into his eye, you know, like yeah. it's, it's pretty full on. And I remember um, when we were on the South Bank show, they, they had a, a clip of us um, playing live and then and they were running the lyrics underneath it. And it was such a weird juxtaposition. I know why they did it, because it's like, you've got this guy in a, in a like a pink leotard, sort of um, <laughs> camping about on the stage. And then the lyrics underneath it, just like, oh my God, these are, this is seriously edgy. Um, but, you know, the, the objective was to write about things that you know know about, and um, and the, the real problem in Lowestoft um, for us and and um, someone close to us was going through through um, heroin addiction at the time, and and it's very real. So 
you know, it's not like, um, it's not really a case of like, you wouldn't get necessarily get away with it. It's more of a case of um, like, I'm sure there are singer songwriters out there that are going through the same things, but um, probably, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe, um, I don't know. He, he, he was, of, he was of the mind that he should write about things that, that he knows and has first hand experience of, otherwise it won't be real and it won't sound real. And I think he was right. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's kind of exactly what I mean is that problem obviously hasn't gone away, but I just can't imagine yeah. artists today being brave enough to be that open about it because of, you know, yeah. fear of people going, oh, you can't have that on the record. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It just well, seems like a safer yeah. industry nowadays. Less dangerous. It's difficult, though, isn't it? it's difficult, though, isn't it? Because you can kind of broadcast anything that you do. Yeah, I guess so. Um, it's almost like there's almost like this thing where I could imagine if I was like a singer songwriter or like you know um, a lyricist in a band. When it comes to lyrics, you're almost like, well, I don't know. Like, it's so easy to say whatever you want and have everyone listen to it that you maybe you don't want to be seem to being trying to trying to cause a stir or, or being I don't know. It's it's difficult. I don't think he thought about it too much, but. Um, I guess he had no uh, idea how huge you were going to be either, right? No. You know, I, mean, I think, being honest, we were very ambitious sonically. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we always thought that we would we would sound better in bigger venues, but we still didn't expect to, it to, to blow up the way that it did, you know. Tell me about that fame hurricane, Dan, if you can just kind of condense it into, you know, a story or an observation because it's it's next level fame, the kind of the level of attention and, and scrutiny and celebration and all of that at once that you guys were exposed to. Um, how did it affect you personally? I think one of the, one of the peaks for me was um, at one point, um, I decided that I wanted to go to the, go to the pub and see my, see my mates like in Camden. I think it was a locked tavern or something like that. I wanted to go to. And um, uh, how I had to do it, I had to have a driver and a security guard. And I, I was like, uh, right, just, just wait outside. Um, and, um, I was in that pub for about within five minutes. I was doing so, I was taking so many pictures, signing so many autographs that I had to leave, um, and then go on to another pub. And then my mates would walk down the road, go to the next one, and then we go in. We'd do the same thing. Five minutes, I'd have to leave. <laughs> it's like, and it was like, oh my god, I can't do this anymore. I can't actually go to the pub. And then, uh, you know, small price to pay, but um, I realised that uh, that things changed dramatically. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it, kind of- it gets hard to basically just do normal day-to-day things, which must be yeah. incredibly surreal. Like even going to the shops for groceries and things like this, that kind of becomes oh, well, a, a yeah. daily challenge, right? <laughs> I never used to eat vegetables anyway, to be honest. So it's like, yeah, get a load of cans of beans and um, a load of bread in the freezer and you're, and you're away. <laughs> so you, you were well stocked for the lockdown then. You were like, well, the, the pantry is already full. <laughs> what, what lockdown? <laughs> imagine, oh, no, if, imagine if you'd had Deliveroo and things like that. Back God. in the Permission to Land fame era, then you could have oh, really geez. just lived it large at home. Just order everything yeah. in. Well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of, um, I think when I, when I realised that I couldn't really go out in London, that, that's when I, um, that's when I moved out of London. Actually, um, yeah, makes so, sense. Well, uh, this is not really, there's no point to this. So, so I'm, I am. Um, that's when I, I um, moved to Norfolk and built the studio there, and, and um, kind of 
you know, it's actually one of the best things I ever, uh, best decisions I ever made because, uh, you know, well documented Justin's, um, uh, you know, rehabilitative downwards rehabilitative just yeah, and like you know, he's been he's been sober for nearly thirteen years now, and I'm really proud of him. And um, but you know, but it's, it's it's documented that that he didn't do too well for it. But the reality is, we were all just as bad as each other. And the only thing that, that saved me was was um, when we get back from tour or whatever madness was happening, I, I would go back to my farm in, in Norfolk and I'd be away from everything. Whereas um, Justin and Edge, um, they were kind of just, they're, they're always in, in the belly of the beast, you know? So, um, no yeah, escape. It's, 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 Frankie was the first one to leave, right? As he had he just had enough? Uh, yeah, I, I think at the time, I mean, you know, tensions were, were were really high. We weren't really communicating with each other. We completely lost the ability to play our instruments together. We completely lost the plot, basically. We really lost the plot. And under so much pressure, we we needed some time to sort ourselves out, but um, but we didn't take it. And, and um, you know, I, I think the only thing that maybe could have um, saved the band from splitting up or like self imploding or Frank not leaving um, would have been time off and, and or, or maybe sort of stronger management to kind of like guide us a bit. But it turns out management had gone completely off the rails as well. So it was just like, <laughs> we were just like, you know, cast adrift. But It's the same story with know. almost every band in that position, isn't it? Is they get so big it off is. that first album, nobody is there to go, maybe we should just like protect these guys and, and you oh. know, maintain their sanity and mental health for a bit. Let's just take yeah. take the gas off for six months, give it a breathe, give it a rest, and then we yeah. can ramp up again. But everybody around you wants to generate more money, don't they? So let's get them back out on tour. Let's get them in the studio. Let's get them doing this press junket. Let's get them doing this. And, and yeah. you're just like, oh, my God, just in the fucking whirlwind of it all, like trying yeah. to keep, keep your breath. That, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, you know, everyone wants to party with a rock and roll band. Everyone expects you to be able to just keep going, you know, and, you know, with help, we did, <laughs> you know, like, it, <laughs> with, um, we all need a little help did, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we probably had way too much help. Yeah. We say, um, uh, we had, uh, there were a mount, there was a mountain of help <laughs> at hand all the time. And, um, yeah, we just, it just never stopped. And then but that, that's what happens to those things, you know, at some point your brain or your body or your behavior or circumstances just stop you dead in your tracks um which is um yeah it's all good it's all part and parcel of it though you know like being a rock and roll band you can't be a rock and roll band and not be doing these things it's like otherwise you're not real you know it's not like you know every, every band so well behaved and so and as you say like everything's so compartmentalized and so risk free and just so normalized and it's like where are the freaks and like the you know the weirdos and like the the bands that are really just you know like look, look at the Who I mean the, I love the story of like the amount of instruments that they trashed even before they had a record deal like in the early days and and like they get all the stuff on higher purchase it'd be gone within within a week the entire backline just smashed the beavers and like they haven't even finished paying for it it's like it's like you know it, I don't know I don't regret anything is what I'm trying to say. I love that. And Thanks. you're exactly right. It's like, if you're going to, if you're going to be that kind of a band, then you have to really 
walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Yeah, and, live by and the live sword, it. die by the sword. That's it. And if you get to survive, even better. And here you are all these years later. Um, one-way ticket to hell and back. You get to work with, you know, the absolute wizard, Roy Thomas Barker. Was that album a fun experience working with him or was it kind of tainted <laughs> by the chaos and the, the stress and the unravelling of the band? And I mean, how was it making that record, the follow-up? I should, first of all, I should say it's Roy Thomas Baker, but... Um, oh, but, sorry, uh, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> the absolute legend so I, is Roy Chubby uh, Brown. No. <laughs> <laughs> the absolute legend here is Ronnie Barker. Um, no, um, yeah, so... Um, oh, yeah, brilliant. I mean, so, so I was basically... Um, uh, you were in your element Roy. learning from him, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, because I, I was, I, I, he helped me sort of design and build my studio at the time. Uh, he came to he came to live at my farm, so um, so when we were doing the the, um, the writing and the pre production for the for that album, uh, he he was there. He just came to came to live with me because I, I basically built a big live room out, out of the barn, one of the barns that was in, in my farm, um, and I'd yet to sort of build the, what would turn out to be the control room for the. The studio they turned out to be so. So he was um, so in there working with me, and he was kind of like he kind of showed me um, how to EQ, you know, how to how to mic stuff. He taught me so much about um, how a room, a good room, should sound, and and and, and uh, how a room should be built. And he actually helped me build that studio. Um, so I was very lucky in that in that respect. And then. It just kind of went on from there, really. I was, like we, we worked very closely together on the album. He and I, I'd say, you know, we were pretty much inseparable for a year, I think. And um, even to the point where, when we went to um, LA to mix it, um, I, I mean, just check this out. I mean, this doesn't happen anymore. We, we stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Classic. For, I think two months. <laughs> um, I mean, can you believe it? I mean, my, my um, extras bill was 11 grand. Just living on room just, service all day, yeah. Just yeah, the yeah, extras, yeah. yeah. Um, so, anyway, so vulgar, isn't it? It's just gross. Um, <laughs> no, it was that time. It was that time. And, and, and that money that was time. there in abundance then, wasn't it? You weren't counting the receipts. Yeah, well, that wasn't your well, job. Do you know what? The reality is that, that you know, it was, well, we, we didn't really see any money from the, from, um, from the first record, unbelievably, um, because... Or even after quadruple uh, platinum sales, no, because um, that's why uh, the, the industry that's rate... why the industry bombed, didn't it? <laughs> well, the... <laughs> well, I, I think it's more more of a case of um, streaming. Yeah. Well, yeah, there is that, but I mean, but the, the, I mean, the reason why we didn't see any money, more, you know, is, was because the label were investing at our expense um, in advertising, huge ad, ad campaigns across the world, and so. You know, it's, it swings and roundabouts. You know, they're, they're investing heavily in in the record, and and you make money in other ways. So it's always a bit of give and take. So. Um, and anyway, so but at that point, we were like, well, well, if we're not making any money from from uh, from uh, selling these records. Let's try and spend as much money of the record label labels as we can while we make this album. Brilliant. We're never going to fucking see any money anyway. So we so that's why <laughs> so we went out of our way to. Uh, and we and I think we got it to about a million in the end making that album. <laughs> How do you feel about it that. now? How do you I feel know, about it now? I know looking that back? because well, ten years later, the fucking thing still hasn't recouped, is it? So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's well, it's almost there, I think. So I don't know. Uh, so yeah, so I feel good and bad about it. <laughs> 
what about what about the material and the songs and the production and the overall just flow of the record? Uh, well, you know, here's the thing: we 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 were not in a good place. You know, like we weren't we weren't playing together as a band. It was like it's amazing. Like we toured so much, but um, what, if you just tour and tour and tour and tour and, and don't write and rehearse and actually you don't you forget what you actually sound like and and that sounds stupid, but like you, you can become pretty loose i think it's not like i don't think you actually sometimes get better and better that like the, the the more you play live sometimes you need to bring it back and write new stuff and and listen to each other well, it's because of the chemistry way. right it's the chemistry and the human element of being in a band with a specific mix of individuals yeah well we just refused to rehearse we, i mean by the end of it we just we, we just wouldn't even sound check we just, we were just like we were just, we'd rather get over the hangover and then just go and play and not worry about sound check so so it was just we'd just forgotten what it was like to be to play together and make that sound together so um so even when, when we were writing the um writing the album we we still weren't doing that it was kind of like electronic drums and it was all a bit convoluted so the big, I think the big mistake we made was um, when they're like just saying, right, let's go in the studio and record it. And and I'd say that was a mistake because what we should have done is gone in into like rehearsal mode and done proper pre-production. And then we would have realised, oh fuck, none of us can play together anymore. And um, and we would develop that we've made those songs sound a bit more like a band because what happened is we went into the studio and then Roy and I realised, oh shit, we've got a problem here. Um, you know, everyone's forgotten how to play their instruments, so we kind of had to like kind of create create the drum tracks from pretty much nothing. And and Frankie wasn't even there, um, and I played bass on it, and then and it was all very weird, and no one was really in the studio at the same time. Um, it was just weird. It was so so for me that was just one massive um, experiment in production and techniques and stuff like that and it gave me a real insight to all that but uh, it wasn't the um it wasn't the album that it probably could have been but then you know what it's just it, it is what it is and, and in a weird way i'm kind of proud of it as well because i know what the band were going through i think actually it's a miracle we actually made anything at that at that period in that period of time it's amazing we were still together by the end of that making that album Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The peak for me in the middle of the record is that three-song run of Hazel Eyes' Bold Girlfriend. I love that. Like right in the middle there, that trilogy is just, that, that, that's my jam spot right there yeah it's crazy like um which ones yeah, do you play off like, it still live obviously one way but any yeah, other, any I mean, other we, tracks get regular outings still well i mean randomly we, we, we brought out um hazel eyes every now and then um we've had a lot of requests for bald actually um bald's great yeah um oh and english country garden we we revisited um when rufus joined the band um, and he really, I mean, right up his street, you know. Um, and I, thought, I actually really, you know, no, no regrets or anything, but if, if we'd have had Rufus on that album, my God, um, it could have been an entirely different story because just because of the way, if, if, you, ever, if you ever hear, uh, I don't know, it was, maybe it was on the Pinewood Smile Tour, we, we, had, we were playing in the English Country Garden with Rufus on it. It's like, it's like it a whole different ball game. It's just, ferocious so uh anyway like obviously when you reform uh you and justin and frankie are on boards um and then after the record that you make with ed he leaves and i loved as just not just a comeback record but just as a record still now hotcakes such a good album i was working on kerrang at the time that would have been when i first met you guys and just getting to play like nothing's going to stop us and every inch of you and everybody have a good time and even like some of the album songs that weren't singles like keep me hanging on she's just a girl eddie amazing amazing record um and then you you kind of get emily in is it after that and and then you settle with with rufus and i mean he is just the perfect drummer for your band isn't he and it seems like since he's joined you've just gone from strength to strength as a musical outfit but also as just a group of individuals and every time i see you and have encounters with you you see you're like a band that are all happy and the chemistry is all there and it's a beautiful thing to see definitely yeah i mean he's just like um we're very lucky you know like i can't imagine anyone else really um being in the band it's like it, it really is like a shot in the arm it's kind of it's the other thing i was saying about like being a band again it kind of it's a, it, when he when he um when he joined it's the first time it really felt like real again yeah yeah you know um you know uh, as opposed you know sort of back coming back to like the first album kind of feeling that we had where you know, we really felt like a like a like a band, like like a togetherness. And um, yeah, I guess when you like reformed, a, you wanted that original lineup, right? Because it had to be at least tried. But then, assumingly, Ed just didn't want a tour, right? He was just done with being in like a, a working band. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's um it, when when it doesn't work out, it's it's always really sort of sad with um uh, with bands because you because you go through so much together. It's like you're it's like being in the army together or something I'd imagine, you know, you go through these really like crazy experiences that, that other people probably don't really 
we could never even really imagine how extreme those things are. So, you know, that, um, why we wanted to we wanted to give it a go is because we wanted to see whether it was like that, and it and it wasn't really. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's difficult with um, uh, you know with, with <laughs> when people leave bands. It's like you know, I, I would love to go into depth as, as to why um, it didn't work out with Ed, but. Wouldn't really be fair on Ed, and you know he's a good mate and stuff. So no, it's all, and, it's all good, man. He's a he's a great he's a great drummer, and um and actually very you know in in many ways like um is as rock and roll as um as Rufus. Um, <laughs> but but the thing about the thing about Rufus is um he just doesn't he, he doesn't have that um he just doesn't care like it's just crazy. You see massive shows, and and I'll be pacing about like um and it's like. I don't know. He's just like, he'd just be pissing about before we, he's like very much like Justin. Yeah. Like those two would be pissing about like right up to the point they go on stage. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, guys, can we just focus? You know, like, I'm just, <laughs> and like, you know, can we not be throwing that around? Like, can you, it's like, it's like uh, yeah. So it, it just made things really fun again, basically. And the dynamic's so great. Like, how did you and Frankie reconnect? Did you stay in touch as friends after he left the band, or was there a period of estrangement? And if so, like, how did how did he come back into the fold? How did you reconnect with him? Um, well, we were all estranged really from each you other. Were, even you and like, Justin, you know, during that time. Yeah, me, yeah. Justin, and I, uh, Frankie, and I. None of us are talking to each other. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it was a complete and utter mess. Um, you know, and even at that point, um, you know, I'd, I'd sacked Ed from Stone Gods. So right. it was like just, it was all just a, a complete mess. And, and it all kind of came back together again through, um, uh, through Justin and I, uh, I don't know, we're almost like bumping into each other, really. Literally, by accident. Um, well, you just had to was, address the situation. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, it was, it was just like one of those things where, um, uh, Oh, I, I can't even remember. It was like I, I was literally walking past his house in London, and I knew where he lived at the time. And um, and I was like, "This is just stupid. This is just I'm not, I can't walk past here." Yeah. So I just bailed him up, and he was like, "Yeah, come around." And then we were like playing computer games within you know within twenty minutes, <laughs> and then within an hour we were writing a song, you know, because it's like that's what we used to, always used to do, you know. Um, and um, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. Um, but yeah, so did, did the old, uh, so did the old friendships come back pretty soon? Like as soon as you're they, playing they together did. again, is it like nothing had happened and everything's forgotten and yeah. forgiven? And yeah, I mean, I guess the, the you know day one of getting back together, all of us getting back together, you know, pre pre hotcakes or whatever was weird. And, you know, day one of rehearsals, um, but it felt good. It felt exciting. You know, it did feel like we we're you know back to normal again and that in that whole period we were rehearsing up in Lowestoft and it's quite a bleak time of year so it was like it really was like starting from scratch (laughs) so um how important is humor Dan because I know you guys not only have it in your music but you're just incredibly funny individuals Frankie's just the king of the kind of dry one-liners you and Justin just have Mm. a a brilliant comic rapport is is that would you say to anybody listening to this trying to gain an insight into things that help you through these hurdles in relationships is humor and the ability to, to laugh the ridiculous off. Has that played, Absolutely. do you think a significant role in the healing of this band? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, you can't you can't take yourself too seriously, and and, and people change. You know, it's like no one's perfect. It's like you know, it's like this is why it's like it's hard to to keep a marriage together, isn't it? It's like because people actually change, um, and it's not like um, you can do anything about it sometimes. But the one thing you've got to retain is the ability to laugh at yourself and actually look at how much you've changed. You know, see yourself from someone else's point of view, really. Um, you know, I used to take myself way too seriously, you know, like, and, and I had a, a good friend of mine almost like beat that out of me, you know, uh, and, um, you know, when the, when the band split up and stuff, it was like, um, I was, I just took everything way too seriously. And, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, certain friends was like, how can I say it? Like, uh, knocked it out of me. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, well, do you know what? Like, and uh, taught me to to not take myself seriously, and and um and and laugh at myself, and then at which point I, I found the whole thing hilarious. You know, um, I realised that I hadn't been through through like um this horrible experience. I was like, actually, no, this is just brilliant. This is just stuff to tell you your grandkids about, and, and just be thankful that you had the opportunity to do it in the first place. Oh, dude, you guys have had such an amazing life and so many amazing opportunities and experiences. Uh, one of which, for me, I'd love to hear about, just for the kind of reason that it must have been a surprising offer and actually a brilliant experience. I'm sure the Lady Gaga tour, when you get back together, and she, I know, is a huge fan of rock and roll. I've got a clip of her on this like Australian radio station talking about how much she loves Airborne, and I know they're good pals of yours from touring oh, yeah. with them with Stone Gods. How was the Gaga tour? It was brilliant, yeah. Yeah, she was really nice as well. Um, uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it's like we, did, we, we knew we, we weren't really going to expect much from um, from the audience, in, you know, as far as uh, being the support band goes. But that kind of all changed when we got to South America. It was like doing headline shows, really. They were, just, they were ready to party, were really. Oh, my God, it was unbelievable. It was such a great, great time. Um, so it was worth it alone for the, you know, for the sort of um, uh, South American shows and the experience of going there, and um, yeah, it was just it was just a, it was a crazy thing, really, because the label were like not happy that we went we went on that tour because it meant that we couldn't promote the album in a normal way, you know, like we couldn't yeah just do, do the do a UK tour. The UK tour had to be put on hold for about a year. Yeah, you know, so it's like a year after the, the album came out, and we toured UK and Europe, and then. Um, Doing this enormous tour, but um, so it kind of it sunk the album, but it was a great experience. <laughs> I mean, I got to swim with sharks in South Africa. I've, I've been, you know, all over South South America. It was just, you know, Russia. All these places I've never been to before. Um, and the way the production was so massive that you could only do one show every three days. So you, you, we play for half an hour and then have three days off. Oh, mate. And then so it actually, it was insane. just almost like a kind of a bonding experience for you guys as a band just to travel the world and yeah, get up to adventures. Much. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we just, we, I think it like we just played a lot of tennis. And that <laughs> sounds like a really posh sport, but it's actually, um, it, just, it was one of those weird things where like the, the, our, our guitar techs at the time were really into um, tennis and Justin was into tennis and Frankie was. So I was like, well, okay, well, I'll join in. And then, so it just, we were playing tennis for like four hours a day. <laughs> we like it. go out and play, 
we might play in these most random, we find like a, like a clay court in the middle of San Juan or whatever. And, you know, it's just crazy, like playing in 40 degree heat. Um, yeah, it was, I, met, yeah, I remember most about that tour was um, the tennis, really. It's amazing that you did it as well, because I know so many bands would have just been too cool for school and like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Another one's Ed Sheeran that springs to mind. And again, it's just an opportunity. You guys are such an arena fit band. The songs are fit for huge rooms. You're obviously amazing performers. You're no stranger to that environment. And to get to, I think, you know, go in front of crowds which aren't your own and, and introduce the band still at this stage all these years later to new, to new ears, of course, that's an opportunity that for me would be a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter who it is. Like, um, if you if you get asked if you want to play in front of eighty thousand people, you're going to say yes. Um, so, uh, but that's you know, playing with Ed was just awesome. You know, again, there, there's another guy. It's just like it just, you can't believe how sort of affable and like nice these people are. Like, you just it's just crazy. I'm sure. I'm sure we weren't that nice when we were that famous. Not that we ever were, actually. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why we didn't maintain it. <laughs> They're definitely not hoofing rails of cocaine and throwing their, their no. career away then. They're just like, as I mean, you say, down-to-earth people. I remember, like, um, you know, when the, the, the night of the Brit Awards, the night before the Brit Awards, um, obviously I thought it was a really good idea to get really, really hammered. And um, uh, so the day of the Brit Awards, I was just, you know, hung over like a bastard. And to the point where, um, when we went down to Earl's Court, wherever it was, because we played live as well. So, you know, <laughs> quite, quite, quite a big deal. Playing like four songs live in front of about a billion people or whatever. And there I'm, I'm so hung over. I've made a bed underneath the table in the dressing room where the, the rider is. Yeah. Um, so if anyone wanted to get hold of me, there was like just this note saying Dan's under here. I'm <laughs> um, just trying to desperately trying to sleep. Funny enough, actually, the thing that got me through that was um, uh, a, a sports massage because it was like coming close to rehearsal time, and I said to our tour manager Moz, I was like, Moz, I'm in real trouble here. You know, this is a this is a real creeper, um, and he, he got this sports massage thing, and he. Gave you this. I, I said, "Look, I've got really bad hangover, and I've got to play live and do this whole Brits thing tonight." And um, so she she dug into the back of my neck and just got really worked really hard to the point where I thought I was going to be sick at one point. And then I came out of that. Not only had the hangover completely disappeared, um, I was I wasn't even remotely nervous for the whole night. It was just like just everything just gone. It was incredible. A complete it reset. The power of um, yeah, it just shows you the power of like um you know, of, of the, you know, massages and stuff like that. Physiotherapy, so yeah. I've desperately been trying to massage my hangovers out myself, but I just can't seem, <laughs> I can't seem to get in there. <laughs> What's your favourite? Have you got any good celebrity party stories, Dan? Did you get up to mischief with any high-profile Hellraisers in that time? Uh, or was that more probably, Justin's thing? Well... I've, um, I don't know, but across the board, really. I, I mean, the, a festival, festivals are always fun. Yeah. I, mean, I remember being, I remember winding up in a festival in Sweden where I was slow dancing with the Pet Shop Boys and, and doing shots with Kings of Leon at the same time. 
<laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that was a good night. <laughs> hey, when's the when's the documentary coming out? Because I remember at the Dark Nestival thing we did, you you had like a good trailer for that, which was like a five ten minute long sample of what the finished film was going to be like. That that was four years ago, and there's some amazing celebrities in that talking about the band yeah. and their memories of them. Is that still a project that is going to see the light of day? What's going on with it? Well, apparently so. I mean, like Simon Emmett actually, he actually texted me yesterday. I need to get back to him, um, saying that he's got an edit that he thinks looks really great. So he's working on it. I mean, this is the thing. <laughs> maybe it's the sort of thing that you know, lockdown has maybe pushed it forward. But um, there you go. My, I will chase that up today. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of, I really want everyone to see it, and then also I don't because it's, you know, it's not, it's real. Yeah, and it's like as you say, you you might have no regrets, but there's still that element of shame when some of those stories are are resurfaced, right? And you're like, oh god. Well, it's not that. It's more. It's more about like. I mean, he's just followed us through. I mean, he's got six years worth of footage from like playing in like you know campsites in Wales, like you know like um, you know butlins in Wales to like pubs in Ireland to like you know the Roundhouse in London and playing to. You know, hundred thousand people in Italy and Reading and Leeds it's, and all that stuff. You know, it's but it's just it's uh, you know, we just changed so much. You know, I, I really feel like we've been ramping up to the point where we are now, where where it's going really well. <laughs> but but the film is not necessarily about that. It's more like the journey. So yeah. um, so in a way, I'm kind of like I'm you know I'm, I'm hoping it'll end up end, end on a high you know so we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll see but you know but listen Simon Emmett who's making it is just a brilliant filmmaker um, it looked really good what I saw and there was mm. I think Lily Allen was in one segment there was all kinds of people oh, yeah. in it talking about how much they love the band and it just it had a great look to it I don't think I saw any of the archive mm. footage in the bit that I saw but the presentation mm. of it looked really slick and it it's an amazing yeah. story because as you say like you guys could have just disappeared after that breakup and never come back but not only to come back but to come back and continue to put out consistent quality records every couple of years and just continue to grow and grow and grow and the shows continue yeah. to get bigger i couldn't get into your christmas show last year for love nor money i was hitting up your agent the booker your, oh, pub- no. your publicist i was trying to get in from every angle and it was like the hottest ticket in town and it uh, wow. you did two nights there as well right did you at the roundhouse uh, or was it just the one? But I either way, I definitely couldn't get in. Yeah, I was I devastated. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you got my number now. <laughs> <laughs> but was that a good one? Was that a good way to end last year? Because it was a huge tour you did. Yeah, it was brilliant. It, it was just so so great. Um, you, you know, we were trying to do. We played the whole of um, of that album on that tour. Yeah, uh, which was quite adventurous, and, we, and it was all like kind of. It was all. Like we had a video made for every song, um, and massive screens, and it was just a, it was the biggest production we've, we've done in like a decade or whatever. Um, and it was a real challenge as well because it's you know nothing's on click track, and and getting getting video to run to to a band that are playing live with no click track that just kind of blows with you know, synced line, visuals line as well, yeah. Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so, so um, it was just not, it was a risk really to, to kind of do that, and and um, and it, but it really paid off because it sort of um, people really really 
loved the first half and then they got the, got the greatest hits on the second half and and um, it was cool yeah it's like um, yeah and it was it was sold out pretty much the whole tour so um, things things are on the up yes well, happening on the up for a while actually and you've had some amazing you know kind of big rock and roll shows as well Guns and Roses Alice Cooper or the Hollywood Vampires was it was it Hollywood Vampires you did yes yeah yeah yeah, so that that was cool. The, the Guns N' Roses thing was just outrageous. I mean, was that a real you know. bucket list moment for you? Well, it was just that I think we played at um, Imola Racetrack, and, and there were one hundred and thirty thousand people there. It's like just wild, and and it went really well. You know, you can only you know, it's like this, this is just amazing. Um, I mean, we've played Guns N' Roses quite a few times in the past, so various incarnations of. Was this the um, first time playing with yeah. Axel and Duff and Slash together? Yeah, it was, yeah. And, um, yeah, it was really cool. Did they sound good? Were they on point? They did. They did really good, actually. Yeah, I was really, I was, well, not surprised, but um, I was surprised at how good Axel sounded, actually. I saw him with ACDC, and he was amazing doing that. They brought yeah. out a load of old Bon Scott songs that I'd never seen them done before. Oh, amazing. He was bang on time, <laughs> and he just he really delivered. He really silenced the critics on that one. I think that was a big part of yeah. uh, the kind of Guns N' Roses healing process and reunion as well. And again, it's it's nice yeah. to see because you know, like you guys, people want to see those songs, but they want to see those those players on stage again, and they want to see those guys happy in each other's company. And yeah, because you true. can tell, yeah. can't you, when a band's on stage and they fucking hate each other? You can just see, 100%. you can see the tension yeah. from the back of the the arena. I know, I know. They're just, yeah. So I mean, you know, I think it's gonna be when we come out of all this, um, all this bollocks, basically. It's gonna be um, live music's gonna be just well. <laughs> if there are any venues left. Yeah, if there's um, venues left, it's going to be booming, isn't it? Not only are just everybody going to be wanting to play, but everybody's going to be wanting to see shows as well. I I kind of have you have you considered the live stream thing? Because here's an idea for you, Dan. Forget forget Easter's (laughs) cancelled. Christmas is saved. Christmas live stream (laughs) with the Christmas live stream with the darkness. (laughs) Well, all I'm going to say is that um, there are discussions in the pipeline. Dun, dun, no, that's not. Dun, there, there, there are discussions. <laughs> there are. They're not in the pipeline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, discussions, the discussions aren't in the pipeline. The discussions are out of the pipeline and are being had. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we'll leave that there then. And finally, um, <laughs> can you tell us anything about the beer, the upcoming beer release with Signature oh. Brew? Because I saw you just visited the studio probably yesterday, oh. was it, or the day before? Well, got you, you are all over it. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, astute, mate, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I. <laughs> Um, so, um, well, yeah, I mean, we're going to do something with them and it may or may not be out before Christmas, but we're hoping it will be. Lovely. And it may or may, it may, or may not be a Christmas ale. Who knows? There we go. I look forward it's to be awesome though. <laughs> I look forward to, uh, to sampling whatever delicious beverage you're, you're concocting and, uh, yeah, great. they're good, they're it's, good it's guys. On, they are. That's on my, that's on my bucket list. It really is. You know, like. Um, you have the opportunity to, to actually develop it, you know, it's not like we're just whacking a name on a beer. We're, you know, I've, I've been there and um, with the with the head brewers doing taste tests and actually getting it together, it's going to be oh, mega exciting, mega excited about that. Love it, dude. Well, listen, mate, it's been really nice catching up and having a chat and it was nice to yeah, uh, awesome. to reconnect after four years. 
and yeah, ho- hopefully definitely. the next time we we do have a chat will be in real life dan that would be nice wouldn't it yeah yeah <laughs> it'll be when you're when you're trying to get into another sold out gig <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please dan, Berlin, yeah? i've asked everyone <laughs> it's the hottest ticket in town um yeah mate so nice chatting and uh, we look forward to to the return of of live music and the next live darkness show whenever that may be um take care man Thank thanks you. thanks for giving up your time cheers, cheers dan thanks matt Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.